Okay, I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so last time I started talking about judgment, the third set in the Odyssey block. Um, and I talked all about the designers and the key mechanics. Well, today I'm going to continue that. I'm talking about cards. So for today's podcast and maybe the next podcast, we'll see how long this goes, uh, I'm going to talk about just card stories. Uh, one of the reasons I really enjoy doing card stories is um, it's one thing to talk the overall structure, which I, I feel I always should do, but kind of talking about individual cards, you just kind of see a lot of how things came together in a sort of more personal way. Um, and anyway, I, players like card stories. I like telling them. So um, I'm going to do that. So we're going to start with Balthar the Defiled. Okay, so for those that know the story, or maybe don't know the story, um, the main character was Kamal. His mentor was a dwarf named Balthar. Um, and Balthar showed up in the previous set in um, Torment, in red, because he was a dwarf. But in the story, oh, poor Balthar is killed. The mentor killed. Oh, Joseph Campbell. Um, anyway... And uh, we decided that, you know, just because you kill a creature doesn't mean you can't see him anymore. Uh, I, people always tell me that about Vincer, by the way. They're like, okay, okay, Vincer's dead. Where's zombie Vincer? Um, but in this case, we did, in fact, get a zombie version. In the, in the story, he is raised from the dead by the Cabal, who, um, they're kind of evil, if you know much about the Cabal. But anyway, uh, so we made a zombie version, Balthar the Defiled. Uh, so he's 2BB for a 2-2, two, two, so two black and black for 2-2, two, two, um, and he gives all minions plus one, plus one, and then for black, 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 um, you can exile him, and then you reanimate, all players get to reanimate all red and black creatures. Um, and so, anyway, it is, uh, it is a fun card. Uh, a couple things about it. One is, it's, it might be the only minion lord in the game, uh, and we've, we no longer support minion well, what it means is we no longer make cards that have minion on them. I believe that if you had minion on you in the past, you still have minion on you. But uh, Balthar's, uh, Balthar is a, a leader of a tribe that is not really... Uh... So why did we get rid of minions? Um, not my call. I probably would have left minion, personally. But um, what happens is, uh, every once in a while, uh, creative goes through and says, are these creature types pulling their weight? Are they doing what they need to do? Um, and the idea is, having too many creature types, like, you kind of want some cohesion. Uh, you don't want things being everywhere. And so, they go through one, and they go, you know what, this isn't pulling its weight, let's, let's stop supporting this one. So, Minion got, didn't get, Minion is no longer supported. Um, so, poor Balthar does not get to give any new creatures plus one, plus one. But anyway, he's a pretty fun card, by the way. I, I, as a fan of reanimation strategies, he's pretty fun. Next, we get to Battle Screech. So, Battle Screech is for two white, white. Uh, and you put two 1-1 one, one flying birds into play. Uh, they're white tokens. Uh, and for flashback, you can tap three untapped white creatures to flash it back. Okay, now this card is interesting on several levels. Um, first off, it is us doing flashback. I, I mentioned last time that, you know, the mechanics had come back. You know, flashback and threshold, the two main mechanics had come back. Um, the interesting thing about what this card is doing is it's evolving flashback, and there's a cycle of cards in this set that have flashback that don't require mana. Um, and that, that is quite interesting, just because flashback traditionally um, requires mana, and now it says, okay, you know, 
there's ways for you to get this back without necessarily spending mana. Now, the tricky thing about it was we had to make sure that the card needed to be played by the, you know... We wanted to make sure the card wasn't too easily played by, by uh, colors outside of it. Um, and so, with each of these cases, we, we try to make sure to do things that tie them to the color. Um, obviously, the white one, it is a tap-untap white creatures. So, you know... Um, the interesting thing, by the way, is years later with... Uh, this wasn't true at the time. Years later with Hybrid, we enabled a deck that didn't actually have white in it to flash this back. Um, but at the time, if you wanted to flash it back, you had to have white creatures. Um, this was a pretty popular card. Um, uh, token making is something that white has become better at. White's always done it, but it's, we've upgraded white's token making, especially the little, the little one-one token making, both the ground soldiers and the flying birds, usually. Next, we have Benevolent Bodyguard. So Benevolent Bodyguard was actually part of a cycle, but a very subtle cycle. Uh, so in the set, there were um, five one-one creatures that cost C, or a single-colored mana, that all had a sack ability. You could sack them for free to do something. So Benevolent Bodyguard, you could sack it to um, give protection to, uh, to end a turn to a creature. Uh, so it, it sort of was a, a shelter, if you will, a, you know, it, it protected your creature for one turn from a color of your choice. Um, the other things in the cycle were Hapless Researcher, Cabal Trainee, Dwarven Scorcher, and Croson Warfare. So the interesting thing, if I remember correctly about this card, is um, over time in Magic, we had made a bunch of different C1-1s that sacked for effect. Uh, and I think we hadn't made a white one. And I think this cycle started because we were trying to make a white one. But then what we realized was the whole cycle is really good for the environment because of Threshold. Um, that when you're trying to enable Threshold, you want to find ways to get cards in your, in your graveyard. So 1-1s one have this problem that they're good early, but they sort of lose their value after the early game because they just can't get through. And these cards allowed you to turn that, you know, you could attack with them early and then turn them into value. And you could also use them to get in your graveyard to fill up for Threshold. So it, it all worked very nicely. Next, Book Burning. So Book Burning is one of the um, Punisher cards. So Book Burning is a sorcery for one, one and a red. Uh, you, you, your opponent had to choose either to do six damage to the, you know, let you do six damage to their head or mill them for six. So this is a really good example of kind of what Punisher can do. Um, red is not a milling color. Red cannot mill. So if red cannot mill, why is red milling on this card? And the answer is, the Punisher mechanic allows us to give some abilities to red that red can't do, and the reason is, red doesn't get to control them. So red is sort of like, mill cards or I smack you in the face. Your opponent can go, okay, smack me in the face. So because you can't control the milling, that you never, your opponent always can keep you from milling, we allowed red to bleed a bit and um, get into some abilities it can't normally do. Also, another design thing to understand, notice the aesthetics that it's six damage or six cards. Um, so that the abilities feel connected. That was another important part of um, Punisher. Um, the numbers didn't always line up. There's a bunch of different ways to do it, but you do want to feel like the choices uh, have some sort of correlation to each other. And in this particular case, the number six happens to do that. Okay, let's go to the next card, which is very similar, which is Browbeat. Um, so Browbeat doesn't quite have the aesthetics that Book Burning does. Browbeat is a sorcery for two and a red that you either do five damage or draw three. My guess, by the way, is this card was originally due 6 damage, draw 3, because um, in the aesthetics, um, one of the things about aesthetics is you can match it, uh, doing half works. Like, you want to do something where there's a pattern you can see. So 5 to 3 is not a good pattern, but 6 to 3 is a pattern. My guess is this card was too good at 6 damage, which is why it's 5. I, my gut is we turned it in at 6, and development likes aesthetics, 
uh, not as much as design likes aesthetics. And development's attitude is, look, where we can, we'll match aesthetics, but when the card's unbalanced, we will make the card balanced. And so design sort of lines everything up aesthetically beautiful, and then development keeps most of it, and I, I try to keep an eye on it and keep the aesthetics where we can. Because um, something I've learned, I, I, maybe one day I'll do a, a podcast on aesthetics, but one of the things about it that you learn is that humans just seek out certain things, and when you sort of you hit the things that people seek out, uh, they just feel better. The cards just feel better. And, and if, you, if you break it enough, like, you know, Grizzlebrand is a classic example where it's like, seven, seven, pay life, draw seven cards. How much does it cost? Eight. And then people are like, what? It needs to cost seven. You know, and, and literally the number of letters I got because Grizzlebrand cost eight. Uh, you know, aesthetics does matter and it really does have an impact. And like I said, I'll, I'll do a podcast on aesthetics one of these days. It's, it's a good, it's a good uh, full half hour worth of talking. Next, we got Cabal Therapy. So Cabal Therapy was known as Go Fish in design. Uh, the reason is, is you're playing the game Go Fish. You would, uh, so it cost B, it's a sorcery, and you would say, do you have blah, name a card. If they did, they, ha- they then had to reveal their hand and discard any copies of the card you named. Uh, the card also has flashback, sacrifice a creature. Um, so the interesting thing is I made Go Fish without the flashback cost a bunch of times. I kept trying to get in sets, and it doesn't, wasn't quite good enough. Um, and then when we realized that we had flashback available, oh, well, the, doing it a second time is very, very valuable because your opponent has to show you their cards to prove they don't have it. So if you can do it a second time, you now know their hand. And so adding the flashback on this card took it from being a not quite good enough to print to being a tournament quality card. This was played in tournaments. Um, but anyway, I, I, uh, one of the things that's fun about doing design is that you try to get cards in that you like, and for different reasons, they don't get in. And so you keep trying to try them again or tweak them, or, you know, and that uh, Go Fish was a card that I tried to get in multiple sets. And, and finally finding the solution to getting it in and to, to making it, you know, a very playable card, um, anyway, made me very happy. Uh, I, I was kind of happy this card ended up where it did. Next is Cage Mail. It's an aura, a chant creature, for 1W. Enchanted creature gets plus 2, plus 2, and can't attack. So this is something that we started doing. Uh, I mean, this is one of the early examples of this kind of card. Um, what this card is doing is um, it has different value depending upon whether you play it on yourself or your opponent. Um, I mean, obviously it does the same things, but the point is, if I'm playing on myself, I'm going to put on something that's naturally defensive, then I'm just trying to make it bigger. And the fact that it can't attack is not too big a deal. I have a creature I'm intending to be defensive um offensively if my opponent is beating with something that I just can't stop um I put this on them to stop it now it is a downside it makes it better for blocking and such but you know if I'm really desperate to stop the thing that's going to kill me well you know hey maybe I'm willing to to make it bigger to stop it and so it's interesting in that it has value and that how I use it for myself and how I use my opponent is stressing different parts of the card but if the card comes together it the nice thing is it feels cohesively whole, like the card it does a distinctive thing, but it has different value depending on how you play it. Um, this card is also a card that I would uh, parody directly in, was it Unhinged? Uh, with Word Mail, which was a card that uh, got bigger based on how many words were in your title. Um, although it allowed you to attack, obviously. But. Okay, next, Commander Isha. Uh, so this is a legendary creature for two white and a white, two four flying... Protection from creatures. Um, so, let me talk a little bit about protection from creatures. So, one of the things about protection 
is protection is an open-ended mechanic. It, it, it's a very interesting mechanic in that protection from fill in the blank. Um, so because it's defined what it means, so protection actually does four different things. This is one of my, my dislikes of protection is it's a very, very complex mechanic. Uh, it's like it does four things. That's a lot for a single mechanic to do. So what, mechanic, what protection does is it says, I can't be targeted by the color in question. I can't be enchanted or equipped by something with the color in question. Any damage done by the color in question is reduced to zero, and I cannot be blocked by any creatures of the color. Um, so that's a lot put together. I mean, the, the overall flavor is nice. The reason the protection is still around is it, it's got awesome, awesome top-down flavor. It's like, you know, I have protection red. Red magic cannot harm me in any way. And we've kind of spelled out all the different ways that red magic could harm you, except obviously untargeted, non-destructive. Um, it's funny because early on, by the way, protection has gone through a lot of phases. Early on, most people don't know, is when protection first happened, the ruling was like an alpha. Um, protection meant, oh, you can't be affected by things of that color. So, like, if you wrath the god early on, if you had a black knight and you wrath the god, oh, black knight goes, sorry, white, you know. And so it didn't care. It's like, oh, you're white, can't destroy me. Uh, and then there's a phase where there was this thing called semi-targeting. So, like, balance couldn't kill a black knight, but counted it to figure out how many creatures there were. Um, and then eventually, um, they figured out, okay, we need to define what it is. Just, it can't be affected. It was too vague. And so they came up with the current rules. Um, so protection from creatures, rule-wise, works just fine. I mean, it does what it says it does. You know, it cre- you cannot... Uh, creatures cannot target you. They cannot block you. Damage from them is reduced to zero. Uh, I guess the aura equipment thing doesn't really matter until we make creature equipment one day. Um, I'm just joking there, but everybody, ooh, Maro says creature equipment is coming now. Um, anyway, the, my big problem with this card is it is just super, super inter, uh, non-interactive. It's like, it's like, okay, you just can't, like, for, for, for starters, it's I'm unblockable, okay? And then, and the, the, really what this card says is, unless you can destroy me with a spell, I'm just going to wreck you because you can't do anything about me. Um, and I don't find protection creatures to be all that fun. We do it every once in a blue moon. Um, there's two cards. I'll talk about the other card deck, but I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of this card. Uh, in the sense, I'm not a fan of protection of creatures. Uh, I mean, it w- this was a legend. I know how it got here. This was a legendary creature. It was important. We wanted to make it splashy. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of times when you do something for the very first time, protection from thing you've never done before, it's splashy. And creatures, like, oh my, creature, protection from creatures, you know, sounded pretty cool. Um, and it's very powerful, so I mean, people liked it in that it's powerful. Um, the fact that it's flying, protection from creatures, was a little quirky since kind of the biggest type of protection from creatures is you can't be blocked, but it has flying, so. Anyway, not the most, not the, as the signs go, uh, not the greatest. Okay, the moves also to Elephant Guide. So Elephant Guide is another enchant creature for 2G. Uh, the aura grants plus 3, plus 3. And when enchanted creature dies, you get a 3-3 three, three elephant token. Green elephant token. So this is another example of... So R&D's been playing a game since Alpha called Make Auras Better. Dun-dun-dun! Uh, so the problem with auras is they, they create card disadvantage. That if I put an aura on my creature and you kill my creature, now I've invested two cards and you used one card to get rid of it. So, it's inherent card disadvantage. That's the problem with auras. And along the way... So, here's the real problem, I guess, is... Beginners love auras. They love auras. Auras are fun. Um, I used to do a thing called Deck Clinic, where we would go to... Um, when we went to events, 
back when I went to every convention under the sun. And we'd set up a little table, and people would come and show us their decks, and we would give them advice on how to make their deck better. And I had a bunch of, like, a little truisms I would give, you know. And one of the ones I used a lot was, here's a tip. Try to have more creatures in your deck than creature enchantments. Uh, people love, especially beginners, love putting creature enchantments in their deck. It's fun. I mean, one of the reasons that Theros is what it is, is it's fun to build up your creatures. Um, and one of the ongoing things is, the reason auras are in the game is they are fun, people like them, but they've always been bad competitively, and, and they've, it, we've tried a lot to make them better. So... Um, Elephant Guide is a good example where we're like, okay, what's the downside card disadvantage? Oh, well, what if, you know, if you put this on your creature, once the creature dies, if you get another permanent, then, I mean, it's not a card, but from a card disadvantage standpoint, you have a permanent. So, like, I'm losing two things but gaining one, so I'm only losing one. So it turns it back into a one-for-one. One. Uh, and so this card is very powerful. This is a, it definitely was a tournament card. Um, and like I said, it was very much made with us trying to we're constantly trying to find ways to print auras in a way that makes them playable. Um, and you'll notice, like, over the years, I mean, Theros is a big example. We do it a lot in Theros. But, you know, auras are no longer the thing you're supposed to just throw out in Limited. That, that we, we've, we've made enough over the years that there's reasons you might want to think about them. Next is Epic Struggle and Test of Endurance. Okay, so in Odyssey, there was Battle of Wits and Chance Encounter. In Torment, there was Mortal Kombat. And in uh, Judgment, there was Epic Struggle and Test of Endurance. So, this is what we call a mega cycle. This is where we take a cycle and we spread it out over the course of a whole, the course of a whole block. So, all five of these cards were alternate win conditions. They all were enchantments. All of them said, at the beginning of your upkeep, if condition is true, you win the game. Uh, and the reason it was an upkeep trigger was no matter when you did the thing you did, your opponent had one turn to try to stop you. So if you did your thing, then the opponent will go, oh, if he starts the game with his thing being true, he's going to win the game. He or she um, is going to win the game. And so we have to make sure that um, we give you a chance to respond. Um, so Epic Struggle and um, Test of Endurance, well, Epic Struggle was uh, two green-green. Uh, Test of Endurance was two white-white. Uh, and so what happened was... Um, Battle of Wits was the blow-away most popular one of this, of this um, cycle. I mean, the other ones got played, and they therefore were fun, casual things, um, but none of them really had the runaway success of Battle of Wits, which even showed up kind of fringe and constructed. Um, so Battle of Wits we actually brought back. So it's funny, people ask about that. We don't, if we make a cycle, we don't feel obligated to bring the whole cycle back. Uh, and many, many times there's been one card that stood out, and we brought the one card back. So... Battle Wits got brought back. It didn't have to live and die with its cycle. But the reason I like Mega Cycles is I have a lot of fun of sort of having something and creating some anticipation. Um, uh, and the fun thing about it is you, when you saw two of them in uh, Odyssey, you didn't right away necessarily know the names were somewhat connected, but you didn't know for sure that they were a cycle. But then when you saw Mortal Kombat, you're like, oh, well, there's a black set, there's a black one. Oh, you know, oh, there's two missing, it's white and green. You know, and you can realize. And one of the fun things about about designing sets is there's a meta design thing where you're trying to you want to make people happy within the set but you also want to sort of play between the sets and making cards where people anticipate what's coming makes people happy makes players happy it's fun to have a pattern and complete the pattern I talk about this all the time uh, in my communication theory people like completion how do you give people completion we'll set up the pattern so that you can then finish it I mean sometimes structure is you set up a structure that naturally you can find an ending to where your audience doesn't know where it's going but another time, it's set up a solution they absolutely positively know where you're going, and then you get to meet the thing they know. It still makes them very happy. Okay, next, 
Ernam Jin. So we did this weird thing in this block where in Torment we had um, uh, Singer Vampire and in uh, Judgment we had Ernam Jin, both of which we were highly profiled in the ad campaigns. Uh, and the funny thing was, I mean, Ernam Jin in its day was a good card. It wasn't anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't very powerful at the time. And Singer Vampire was never good. I mean, it was popular early on, but it was never good. And so we kind of brought back these two cards that were like, hey, look at this card that really isn't that good anymore. Like, it was a weird campaign on our part. I mean, they were familiar, and they're like, hey, remember this? There's nostalgia to it, but uh, it was an odd choice. And it's funny. The, one of the things we sold, um, if you go look at the Judgment ads, they highlight that Ernum Jin is back, and they highlight the Wishes. Now, the Wishes make a lot of sense. Wishes were splashy and pretty cool. But Ernum Jin is like, hey, guys, uh... You know how magic is new and different and we do crazy new things? Well, guess what? We also brought this card back. You know, anyway. Um, Jin, by the way, for those who do not know, it is a uh, three and a green. It's a four or five creature. And uh, the upkeep is you must give your opponent a non-wall creature uh, forest walk. And since odds are you had a forest to play this, it allows your creature to have it. You'd make one of their creatures unblockable. Um, in the day... Back when creatures were a lot worse, this was pretty good. You know, having four or five for three and green was so good that, like, okay, I'll put up with this disadvantage. Um, there were also less creatures at the time. So, I mean, it, back in the day, you know, Urnum Armageddon was a deck where you played. It was a white-green control deck where you would get out a creatures, Urnum being one of the biggest, and then wipe the board with um, Armageddon. And then your opponent couldn't deal with this large creature. And so at the time, well, one of the best values for your money was Urnum Gen. But we've come a long way. Come a long way. Next is Genesis and Glory. So Genesis was a for four and a green. It was a four-four creature, um, and it allowed you during upkeep to spend two and a green. And if you did, you could return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Glory was three white white three three flyer, and it had the ability in your graveyard. Oh, sorry, the previous the previous ability for uh, sorry for Genesis was if this is in your graveyard, then you have this ability every upkeep. And then Glory says, if this is in your graveyard, you can spend um, two and a white to give creatures you control protection from a color of your choice line of turn. So this was, so there were seven cards that were the, incant- uh, the incarnations, which were creatures that had abilities in your graveyard. Uh, there was a cycle of five of them that all granted a keyword ability, and then white and green, because it was the white and green set, each had an extra one that had an activated ability, or, sorry, the green one was triggered, and the white one was activated. Um, and the, the, I remember I, I played a lot of Genesis. Genesis was a very fun card. And uh, um, and Glory, like I, I said last time, Glory was the pre-release card uh, in Hebrew. Okay, next, Grizzly Fate. Okay, let me ask you. So Grizzly Fate is three green and green uh, sorcery to put two 2-2 two, two bears into play. But if you were at threshold, meaning if you had seven more great cards in your graveyard, instead of two bears, it put four bears into play. And it had a flashback of five green green. So this card does a whole bunch of things. So let, let me start by asking the most the question I get most about this card, which is, uh, Mark, did you name this card? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Grizzly Fate, awesome name. Um, by the way, a lot of people do not realize that Grizzly and Grizzly are not spelled the same. But because um, uh, Grizzly, as in like you know a horrible thing, actually spelled differently. But it makes Grizzly Bear so da da da. Anyway, I like this card name. Um, by the way, if you ask how many puns in magic, how many, 
puns and card names I'm directly responsible for, the answer is a lot. Um, I, I, I'm literally the person who, once we decided we're going to Wrath, said, okay, we're having Apes of Wrath done. Now, the problem is I don't get to do names much anymore, so um, other than... Uh, other than uh, nah, I don't have to do names anymore. Anyway, I, I still try to get puns where I can. I put puns in, in, in design names all the time, uh, but somehow people change them before they get printed. So if you bemoan the lack of puns, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm falling derelict in my duty. Okay, so the other thing about Grizzly Fate, probably the more interesting thing, uh, is that it did something that we do from time to time, and we often do in the third set, which is it has flashback and threshold. We combine them. So one of the things that we like to do from time to time, usually in the third set, is when there's two mechanics in the set that have crossover appeal, that we try to put them both in the same card. We don't always do it. You have to have a card that makes sense. This card actually worked really well. It was fun. Having Threshold making the card better and then giving it um, flashback was, was pretty synergistic. Um, and so this card played really well. Um, it also, like, for example, it had the potential to make eight two twos, which was a lot. It didn't always, but it had that potential, which was pretty cool. Next, Cross and Verge. So there were three lands in the set, three non-basic lands, um, all of which um, were green-white affiliated. Um, so one of the, 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 let's see, there were three non-basic lands and four multicolor cards, all of which were white-green affiliated. So Cross and Verge, enter the battlefield tapped as the land, tap for one colorless, or two tap sack, you can go get a forest and a plains. Not a forest or a plains, a forest and a plains. Um, and so this was our color fixing. And because it's a white-green set, we, we let you go get white and green. Yeah. So one of the things, one of our goals of the set was to try to make a viable white-green deck. So when Torment came out, we wanted to make a viable black deck. When uh, Judgment came out, we wanted to make a viable white-green deck. And ideally, more than one option. So we gave a bunch of land to really enable you to try to make a white-green deck work. This is one of the cards that really was trying to say, come on, play white-green. Speaking of white-green, the next card, Mirari's Wake. So when I first started playing Magic, I loved making just crazy fun decks. I'm a Johnny, for those that did not know that somehow. Um, and I would make decks, and what I would do is, I would make decks, I, I'd give them names, um, and I would give them, um, usually, like, I would name them, like, like, after a guy. Like, this was Siegfried, or this was, um, Roy, or, anyway, I did not name one Siegfried and one Roy, but, um, I, uh, I would na- I'd give them names, uh, you know, and, one of the ones, one of my favorite ones, I don't remember his name anymore. It was like Gilfried or something. Um, and it was this mono-red deck that the center of the deck was a card called Gauntlets of Chaos, which was an alpha. So Gauntlets of Chaos is a very interesting alpha card. Uh, what it does is it makes all red creatures, it gives all red creatures plus one, plus one, and all mountains tap for additional red. Uh, the idea was it, you put it in play and it just makes red things better. Now, this is alpha, so it affected everybody. Nowadays... Um, as we'll see with Marauder's Wake, um, but it affected everybody. But it was interesting that it was an artifact. Anybody could play it, but it only helped red things. Um, there were a few of those cards in Alpha, not a lot. Um, and it was interesting because while it was an artifact, it really was just meant for a red deck. Um, and anyway, I played so much with that card. I loved, I loved Gauntlets of Chaos. Um, is that right, Gauntlets of Chaos? No, I'm, I'm naming the wrong card. Uh, Gauntlets of Chaos is a card from Legends, which was fun too, but that's not the card I'm thinking of. What card am I thinking of? Um, Gauntlets. It is... Uh, I'm naming the wrong thing. Uh, it was in Alpha. Gauntlets of Might. Gauntlets of Might. Okay, see, I, I, I sometimes my brain actually remembers things. Uh, Gauntlet of Might is the card I'm talking about. Gauntlet of Chaos was a fun card that you could swap things. Um, 
Anyway, I, I like that card too. But that was it. I also played Gauntlet's Cast. But Gauntlet of Might is the card I'm talking about. Um, so when we were in Umarari's Wake, I thought it'd be fun to redo Gauntlet's of um, Might. And here's the reason why. Um, white is the crusade color. It gives. It can give all your creatures plus one, plus one. Green had become the mana flare color. It's the one that can make all your lands get better. So I'm like, oh, well, white is crusade, and green is should be mana flare. So can't we put these together on one card? Yes, we... Yes, we can. Uh, and this was a very fun card. This card saw, saw a bunch of play, and it was another card that really sort of said, play white, green. Um, obviously, the shift between alpha and then was, um, it only affected your creatures, it only affected your land. So it was crusade for me, mana flare for me. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It, it cost three green and a white. It was an enchantment. Uh, it gave all my creatures plus one, plus one. All my lands tap for additional mana of, of any color I could tap for. Um, so next is Nan- Nantuko Monastery. So then Nantuko, this is another land. Uh, so this card is tap, add one. At threshold, for green and a white, you could turn into a 4-4 with first strike plan to turn. Um, so the idea here was, um, this was another of the lands we were trying to make you playable in your white-green deck. We were, we were actually trying to make it so you could play all three of the lands in your white-green deck if you wanted to. Um, or had, if you had a choice, you, you could have a choice. Um, so Nantuko, one of the things that we did in Odyssey was I was playing around, I was very fascinated with the idea of having more than one creature type. Um, I, this is kind of the precursor of us getting to race class. Um, I just realized that there was a lot of flavor in having more than one creature type, and so um, the Nentuko were insect druids. That's what they were. They were this race of druid-like anamorphic creatures that were these clerical things, these cleric things. Um, and they were very weird. Uh, I, I liked... I was trying to... Anyway, Odyssey was me sort of just experimenting with different creature types. Obviously, it would cause all sorts of problems when the next buck turned out to be Onslaught, which had a tribal thing, which obviously we did not know at the time. Um, but anyway, so this is the Nantuko. Um, so the interesting thing people ask me is, so it turns into a 4-4 first striker. Well, what's, where's the green part? Well, the green part is 4-4. That white wasn't supposed to get a land that turned, got that big. And so green got fat and white got first strike was the idea. That's where that comes from. Um, that, that's why it's a green and white. Um, and the idea of a man land was we wanted to, we were trying to enable green white, and so we thought having a, man, an, you know, a land you can animate, it's called man land, um, or person land, if you want to be more, more correct. Um, or thing land, I don't even know if it's a person. Um, anyway, uh, we made that to be something that white green would enjoy. Okay, I am pulling up to wizards, and I notice I've gotten to end, so that's, that's about halfway through the alphabet, um, which means that we get another podcast where I will do the rest of the alphabet. Um, as you can see, by the way, one of the things, another reason I love doing card-by-card stories is there's just so much detail. One of the things that, that I find in my column, when I just sort of explain some of the detail, the people are always amazed at the amount of detail. Like, oh, well, this to this, and this is that, and we have this rule, and people are like, wow, I didn't know that, and people seem fascinated. So I, I like telling the stories just to sort of talk about what our thought process was and why we did things and how they came out the way they did. So, anyway, uh, I'm here. I am part, and it is time. So, uh, as always, I love talking about magic, and I love talking about judgment today. But even more, I love making magic. So which means it's time for me to go. I'll talk to you next time with more judgment.